Hi, are you a gifted or twice exceptional adult who feels a bit stuck in your journey? Do you have goals and dreams which you would love to achieve, but you don't know where to start or feel a little bit overwhelmed? Or maybe you have a thousand ideas, 500 projects, and get distracted by your own thoughts and would love some support on focus and accountability? Whatever gets you stuck, I wholeheartedly believe that gifted and twice exceptional specific coaching will help you unleash your power so that you can be your most authentic gifted self. I recently embarked on my journey on becoming a gifted and twice exceptional coach. So if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, please reach out via email at hello at giftedunleashed.com or you can find more information about my coaching offers on the website giftedunleashed.com forward slash coaching. I would love working with you and I would love to get you unstuck. So please reach out and let's get started. And welcome to Unleash Monday, where we talk about the brain, especially the gifted brain, and how does it affect our thinking and experience of the world differently. There are a lot of stereotypes and stigma around giftedness, and I'm here to challenge those. I'm here to raise awareness and to have a conversation around this topic of what does it mean to be a gifted adult. Common experience among gifted folks is that they feel out of place. They don't quite fit in. They are too sensitive, too intense, too emotional, too overexcitable, and too deep thinkers about the world and about themselves. So if you have been called too much of about anything, then this show is for you. My name is Nadia. I'm too loud, too colorful, too bubbly, too bossy, and I love to talk too much. So welcome to my world, and I'm so happy you are here. Hi, happy Monday. I hope you got some rest over the weekend and were able to recharge your batteries and have energy to start this week. To make your Monday a bit more fun and interesting, I have a new episode for you. Today, I share with you the conversation I had with Bio Moses. Bio and I met on LinkedIn, and it's such a beautiful example how you can meet people from across the globe from the comfort of your home. Bio grew up and lives in Nigeria, and the connection cut in and out a few times, but we still managed to have a very amazing conversation. And Bio sharing his experience growing up in northern Nigeria. And he only learned very recently that there's nothing wrong with him, but he's simply neurodivergent, but he didn't know. And it caused a lot of problems for him growing up. But now that he found out, he got some answers and he's here to inspire and empower other people. And so I don't want to share his story. Let's hear it from him himself. Without further ado, here's Bio Moses. Welcome, Bio. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Nadia. It's my pleasure. It's such a great delight to be here. <laughs> so. I know everybody coming on this podcast has a story and let's just start with yours. You are currently in Nigeria and I think that's where you grew up. Do you want to share a little bit who you are, where you grew up, how was growing up for you? Okay, so my name is Bayo Moses and I grew up in a rural part of northern Nigeria. Now, one of the things about the Nigerian um, rural area is that education is not so great. So my parent told me a story when I was a kid that made me realize that there's something different about me. So the story is kind of um, 
fuzzy in my mind. I can't remember everything about it. But they told me how that that's from infant. When I was a baby, there were signs that this person is a bit different. So they spent a lot of money when I was a child just to get me to learn how to read. Up to when I was in like primary three, that's um, elementary school, I couldn't even read the alphabet very well. Surprisingly, within like two, three months when I was in primary three, when I took started taking books to look at on my own, I learned how to read myself. Nobody taught me. So later when I grew up, I could tell that what was wrong then was not my brain. What was wrong was the teaching method, one. And then secondly, I realized that when I start learning from a place of interest, I also realized that I learn more when there is a recognizable pattern to something, especially when somebody who is delivering the teaching experience pays attention to following a set pattern, whether consciously or unconsciously. So I've always realized that I fall in love with, with teachers who present their lessons that way. So when I started learning how to read, it was more like I was trying to recognize patterns. I would see that, okay, there are words with two letters, there are words with three letters, there are words with five letters, and there's always like a rhythm to them. Some of these things, we call them phonemes, right? So that's what I started saying, and that's how I just learned how to read on my own. And then I had an elder brother who was giving me corrections. I would read out loud to him. I was giving me corrections. So even till today, I love to read out loud. It's just an experience for me. Wow, you said it so beautifully that there's nothing wrong with you, but there's something was wrong with the teaching method. As you said, you just needed a different approach and you taught yourself. Wow. And I was just a kid, I don't know how many years then, around seven or eight. How is school, your further education and your connection with your classmates? Wow, that one is um, what I would call the thorn in my flesh or the bane of all my life, like like since I was a child. Now, up to just a few years ago, if I had to talk this story, I would tear up. The reason is because I never knew I was autistic. I grew up in a rural part of northern Nigeria, so autism was not even common there. It was not even popular. So everybody would conk my head and everybody would just, you know, push me over like this, like, like you are dumb. And one of the things people repeatedly told me from childhood till today till tomorrow is you are different. They always tell me that. So it was a constant reminder. Now, two things happened that stand out for me throughout my childhood. Number one, I couldn't connect with people who were my peers. Incidentally, I connected beautifully or well with people who were way older than me. Some of them were twice my age. Like when I was 15, a lot of my friends were in their 30s in their late 20s. So I realized that when I'm talking with people who were my peer group, my age mate, what I didn't find what they were saying interesting. So I always sounded different. I always thought differently. The whole thing was always different. For example, I never dated once because it just couldn't work. I couldn't even flow with ladies. I couldn't flow with guys. So the first thing that stood out was that I always assumed something was wrong with me. Then the second thing that stood out later in life is I realized that nothing was wrong with me. I was just with the wrong audience. That's what I realized. I realized that I am not the kind of person who knows how to gist. I don't know. There's something we call gist in Nigeria, just like saying chit chat. It doesn't really interest me. What interests me are 
concept, abstract knowledge, you know. So at an early age, I'm not a science student, but at an early age, I fell in love with geography. I fell in love with science. I fell in love with psychology. I fell in love with philosophy. I mean, as a teenager, I was reading big books in libraries. And when I met um, people who were old, way older than me, I was like in junior secondary school, but I was talking to people who had master's degree. I found that I could relate easily with them. I would go to the campus and stay in a medical class. And I was not even done with secondary school. And I couldn't understand everything, of course, but I could relate with some of the concepts. So the more I approached life that way, I found that life was fun. I found that there was nothing wrong with me and I just flowed with it. So I generally interacted with people way older than me. And that's how I just scaled through childhood. But the social aspect on the other side was a terrible problem. It was difficult. There was a lot of bullying and there was a lot of self-doubt. There was a lot of constantly assuming things were wrong with you. And again, I used to think something was wrong with my hearing because I, it seems like my hearing doesn't work like most people. One of the ways I found out is that when I listen to music, I seem to pick out things that not everybody is picking. Maybe that's how I fell in love with poetry. And over time growing up, I realized that if you're just playing an instrument, it makes meaning to me, not just as rhythm, but like I could almost interpret them in feelings. When I see colors, I'm not just looking at the hue. There seems to be a life, a sort of feeling, an emotion that comes out of it and pours on me. So a color can make me upset. Some colors can make me anxious. Some colors can make me just serene, just calm and cool, you know? So I, I realized that light had an overwhelming effect on me, especially bright light. Sound had an overwhelming effect on me. If you're familiar with the Nigerian situation, you know that electricity is a problem in Nigeria, still a problem. So it's common for homes everywhere in Nigeria to have generator. That's like um, alternative electric systems. Now, the thing with, with that is that anytime the generator is on, I almost cannot sleep. I have a lot of problems. It disturbs me. There's a lot of anxiety and all of that. And I keep telling people that there's something wrong with this environment. And everybody will just be like, there's something wrong with you. I realized that sound had an overwhelming effect on me. Same with colors. Same with colors. And then I realized that I could connect very easily with strangers, even much more than people who I grew up with. I connect very easily with strangers because I don't see difference. I don't see race. I don't see gender. I don't see those different. All I'm just interested in is what's in someone's mind, what someone has to say. And for me, that was a fun part of life. And today is still a fun part of life for me. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Now I want to know what's your favorite color. <laughs> okay. I have a set of favorite colors. I'm not very attracted to primary colors like blue, green, red. No, I'm more attracted to colors that are as a result of a mix of two or three colors. That's what I observe. Like orange, I'm attracted to orange. I'm attracted to cyan. I'm attracted to colors that are not shouty. They're mild. Hmm. That's, that's just what I love. I was talking to a fashion designer and I'm not so sure. She called them autumn colors. I'm not so sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, that maybe I'm correct. So that's so I'm attracted to that family of colors. I just love calmness. I love warmth. That's what I see when I see such colors. Beautiful. So I'm just so fascinated and listening to you. Wow. So you grew up rural northern Nigeria, realizing, okay, I'm a little bit different. 
how did you get into the contact or the concept of autism? How did you learn about neurodivergence? As you said, in Nigeria, it's not really a topic. And if there is a topic, there's probably also prejudice, stigmatization. What's the perception of autism in Nigeria? And how did you find out that you're on the spectrum? And what does it mean for you? Mostly in Nigeria, autism, I'm talking about my interaction with experts now because okay. you have to understand that that's the, my social pattern growing up. I love to talk with the person who knows it all. I love to, when I come to a place, the, my first instinct is to meet someone who, who has knowledge. So when I started hearing about autism, at first, the way I heard about it was people who couldn't talk, who had some form of speech problem were extremely social withdrawn. I mean, extremely social withdrawn. That's the kind of thing I was hearing. So people who have social interaction disorder, in fact, that's the synonym that somebody gave to me. That's someone who is an expert, who is a medical expert, said, oh, it's just a social interaction disorder. But the thing with me is there's so much curiosity. I've always known I was different. I'd never had problem understanding who I was or understanding myself. I had problem understanding other people and they had problem understanding me. It was beautiful to connect. But when we come from a social perspective, social angle, I had anxiety and I was nervous all the time. And there's just something about us that didn't connect. So what happened was that my curiosity drove me to read a lot and a lot and a lot. And one day I was talking to someone and then this person told me, he said, there's something about you. You are a sensitive person, but you always try to mask it. And then, of course, I was trying to mask it. So I was like, ah, I'm, not that, I'm not that sensitive. I'm not. And she was like, okay, I know you're not going to admit it. And this woman is way older than me. As a matter of fact, she has a son that is exactly my age. So you can imagine. So she was like, did you have troubles like this, like this growing up? Wait a minute. Okay. I said, I want to hear more. And then she was like, okay. And then she kept asking questions. I realized that she was just describing me in a summary, in a nutshell. And then she told me that she has a 27-year-old son. I'm 27, going to 28. She has a son like that who was born autistic. And she described this guy's life, his upbringing, his interest today. And I realized there is more similarities between us than there are differences. So I looked it up and then I took a test. And then I met someone who was an expert. And then the person, I didn't do an official diagnosis, but the person, I took an actual test, you understand, an actual test for autistic people. And I was shocked. I had a lot of normal people take the test. I was like way up, way up, like it's certain that I had autism. Then I had a lot of normal people around me take the test and they were, you know, where I was scoring like maybe 50, 60, 70, they were scoring like 10, 5, 15. And I realized that it's not a coincidence. So I talked with a few people who are neurodivergent, clearly, and they have helped a lot of neurodivergent people. And the patterns, the similarities was just so, so. In fact, I felt at home talking to people who finally understood my difference. And then I Googled about it. I realized that there are a lot of celebrities, a lot of popular people who, have, who are on the spectrum. I read up on their life story. I noticed the social experience is usually the same, although the personal experience is divergent for many people. The personal experience varies, but the social context, the social experience is usually the same. 
that's when I just started looking for people who might belong to the same community with. And that's the journey so far, but it's a recent discovery. I mean, as recent as just a few months ago, but all along, I knew I was different. Wow. And you said like only a couple of months, how has it changed your perception of the world, (laughs) about yourself, about your, like, what did it do for you? Did it empower you? It definitely did. It definitely empowered me. Now, the, the first thing, the first thing that happened to me was I was broken in like in like split seconds. I felt shattered. Then instantly, at the same time, I felt comforted because I realized that all along I knew there was nothing wrong with me, but this was like an actual confirmation that there is nothing wrong with you. You're just different. And I'm someone who has always been advocating for difference. Now. I know that the word difference is just a word. It can have a negative connotation and at the same time a positive connotation. But I'm talking about the kind of difference that promotes creativity, the kind of difference that encourages a different perspective. Like I love to tell people, for years now, I've always told people, I am not a writer. I am more of a rewriter. Because the whole journey for me, like I tell people, when you write something for the first time, it's usually for yourself. You have to rewrite it for it to now be for the audience. So I am more of a rewriter because I've always been fascinated with the whole idea of taking a second look at things. And most of my fascinating discoveries, most of my fascinating knowledge or learning in life has always come from that place or that point of taking a second look, taking a step back and looking at something all over again, or looking at something that everybody's praising and just say, wait a minute, what if we just look at it from this other perspective? Of course, a lot of, I realize a lot of neurotypical people are very uncomfortable with honesty. They're very uncomfortable with you coming with a different opinion. Now, a lot of leadership problems that described in most leadership books, I'm sorry to say they are very highly common with neurotypical leaders. I'm sorry to say, I mean no offense, but I'm just trying to get at something. So, and many of the suggestions that come in, especially if you read business books and leadership books, thinking out of the box, seeing things from a different perspective and all of that, being a team person and all of these many suggestions that are coming to a very great extent are things that we neurodivergent people find comfortable. So having an actual confirmation that I am autistic Now, it's not just about the autism. It's about the fact that I am neurodivergent. That felt more like a hidden superpower. It felt more like a secret asana. And I realized that I could even use this to my advantage when talking to people. Because I've always loved things that tickle people's fancies, things that stirred up curiosity and conversations that I've always loved that. In fact, sometimes... I can deliver late on a job just because I'm having an interesting conversation, although I've learned to be more disciplined with that lately. (laughs) But the whole idea is that suddenly I found something that we could always talk around. And it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. So like I would want to tell anybody out there who is in my shoes, being neurodivergent is not a curse. Being neurodivergent is not a problem that it's fixing. It's not a disease that it's curing. And then not fitting in socially can be a pain and at the same time can work for your advantage. It depends on how you approach it. And I know along the conversation, I'm going to be sharing a few tips that I have learned in just in just these few short months of my discovery of being neurodivergent. And I believe it's going to really help someone out there. 
So oh, please the share the tips. Don't let us wait and wow. <laughs> One of the things I want to say is that having a natural ability to take a second look at things is a superpower. Now, one of the problems that the human condition struggles with that unfortunately is very incurable, in the actual sense of it, it's not supposed to be a problem, but it's, let's just call it the human situation. It's unconscious bias. We all have that. We all have things we have believed on the inside of us that turns out to be wrong at a later time of our life. One of the reasons is because, like I was telling people, some people in my coaching class, Humans are bred in family systems, whether it's a foster home, an actual family, an extended family, community home, what kind of family setting, any kind of family setting you grew up in. Humans are bred primarily for survival. Humans are bred, they are groomed primarily to fit in socially. You are told to not upset people, to be polite. And like I told some people, parents do a good job, but you have to understand that parenting comes with a lot of fear. So sometimes parents' default setting is to groom their children to have a survival mentality. So this makes us quiet so much of the things that make us unique. You want to fit in. Now, I'm not an expert in all of this. I'm just trying to express it as basic as possible. So I'm not saying it in a very fancy way. And this is, and, and I'm comfortable talking like this. The thing I realized is that growing up, there's this tug of war on the inside of us, either at adolescence, some point in our life, either to be conformist or non-conformist. And the fact is that we need both conformist and non-conformist in the society. When there is a new discovery, it may be from a non-conformist, an original thinker, but we need the conformist to adopt that new perspective and run with it. So we need both sides. So that's why I tell people, I'm not all for introversion, extroversion. No, we need all sides, right? So because I am very comfortable with the idea of being different, comfortable with people who have even an opposing view. I don't have a problem with that. For me, confrontation is a good thing and we can have fun doing it. I realize that that's how parents groom their children. They groom them to not be confrontational and many times so that they can get good things in life. But at the same time, when you grow up and you become an adult, you have to make very complex decisions. Either I follow the status quo or I do something different with my life. So being neurodivergent, one of the things people have accused me of over time is that I am extremely strong-willed. (laughs) I have never accepted it myself because I thought it was, um, (laughs) I thought it was like an insult or a terrible remark, but I realized that it's not such a bad thing. It's just on this. Once you understand how to use those things, it can be a gift in itself. So I have realized that the ability or capacity to take a second look at things, it's really a gift. Many of these discoveries, I had them since I was a teenager. I kept them to myself typical introvert. Now, I talk a lot, but I I don't know whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert or an ambivert. And I told you, I stopped caring about such things. I just care about relating with people, making a difference in the world. And I'm satisfied with that. But I know I keep most things to myself. I talk when I find the conversation really interesting and I can talk for hours. So this is what I realized even at a very young age. Sometimes making a difference in the world starts with seeing the world a little differently. Let me just say this. A different perspective is not actually always a final solution. 
but it's surely a good step in a promising direction. So once I realized that, I found out that I could use both my personal advantage in life and also as a way of making a positive impact on others. So I grew up typically feeling different, thinking different. Sometimes I feel something towards a thing or a situation. And then once I just say it, everybody's looking at me like, dude, you're weird. <laughs> like you're crazy. And I'm usually the last person in the room to figure out what the joke means sometimes. So I realized that there's just this so many unspoken social rules. Life is very difficult to live. It doesn't even come with a manual. <laughs> and I usually ask myself, how do normal people figure out all these things? <laughs> the world is adjusted or is, is set such that it accommodates a lot of neurotypical ways of living, ways of interaction and ways of seeing problems. And thank God for where we have arrived as a race, as the entire human race. But I think it's about going forward from where we are right now. And we could use a little bit of difference to the perspective, to the, the things that are happening around. So that's why I tell people, sometimes making a difference starts with seeing the world a little differently. And then I grew up typically thinking different, you know, learning a different way, socially behaving differently, understanding things differently. And I got tired of people telling me that I was different, that I all of a sudden became comfortable because people, I had so much strong will, I would say that. I didn't want to listen to a lot of what people were saying. The stories they were telling me to teach me some concepts weren't working. I couldn't identify with the stories. I always had more questions than I had understanding. So that's why I turned to books. I started reading. Sometimes I read as much as 18 hours. I told someone before that I've read for over 24 hours straight, and they thought it was, it was a lie, but I wasn't <laughs> lying. Sometimes I am comfortable staying in my room for three, four days in a stretch, and I've not even opened the door. So long as everything I need is in the house, just a few phone calls and I'm good. I'm good. And at most, just the two or three people. I'm comfortable talking with only two, three people for a whole year. And I'm cool as long as we can have great conversations. So I'm just trying to give you a little into my journey of self-awareness. And one of the things about self-awareness for me, because it can be really frustrating when you discover you are autistic or neurodivergent in the ways that we discover. And when you don't have the right support system, most people tell you you're different. It can be hard surviving. It can be hard coping because we are social beings as humans. Many times it doesn't work to our advantage, especially neurodivergent people, the fact that we are social beings, but we can make it work to our advantage. So I realized that self-awareness of course, self-awareness is a good thing. It's a step toward better goal setting and goal achieving. But most people have had troubles even going through a self-awareness journey. They've had a lot of troubles. One of the reasons is because of how we teach self-awareness and how we are focused on it. Now, we normally think of self-awareness as a thing that leads to happiness. But the truth is, in and of itself, self-awareness doesn't really lead to happiness. Because I believe self-awareness, just like the name implied, is about self-help. It's about improving yourself. And that's what makes it a bit difficult. Because lately, a lot of people are coming around to the understanding of the fact that helping yourself is sometimes counterproductive. And most people are coming to realize that self-awareness routines, a lot of the times, can lead to burnouts. It doesn't necessarily determine 
more happiness. That's why I started advocating for a new concept. I have never heard it anywhere. I just developed it. I just coined it. Who cares, by the way? So I just <laughs> called it purpose-driven self-awareness. It's a way of rethinking self-awareness entirely. That means you're trying to teach people with look, at, like I told you, taking a second look at things. So self-awareness is good, knowing yourself, knowing your strength, improving yourself and all that. But the ultimate, if the ultimate picture is self-help, I feel it never leads to fulfillment. I feel purpose-driven self-awareness is a much more fun way to look at it. It's vibrant. It's adventurous. It's thrilling. You understand? And it comes with its complexities because for me, one of the things that defines fun for me, that describes fun is complexity. The fact that we don't understand something and the fact that we're trying to understand it. And in the process, we are learning a lot of things about ourselves. It looks like we're trying to decipher something and then we discover something new about who we are and how we feel. And then we solve that problem. And then there's a new problem that develops. And then we suddenly need more views, more perspective. All of that kind of thing for me is what I define as fun. So I believe that purpose is about focusing on meaning in helping others. Focusing on the meaning that you find when you focus on helping others. That's where the happiness really comes from. And a lot of people are coming to align with the thoughts that helping others is much more rewarding, much more productive on a long term, of course, than self-help. So when we rethink self-awareness from a purpose-driven perspective, from a functional perspective, it leads to more happiness in the end. I always say to how personal is personal development? When we say personal development, personal development, personal development, how personal is it in reality? If you look at it, personal development is personal in the sense that I should take charge, I should take responsibility in developing myself, you know, all of that. That's actually good. That makes a lot of sense. But when it comes to the end goal, personal development is not really personal. It's not really personal. I discover my strength. I discover who I am while focusing on using it to help others. And this perspective, if you ask me, is a better way to live life, is a much more fun way to approach daily problems, daily circumstances. It's a much more way to interact with people. So I figured out that if we combine the both of them effectively, we could start to talk more about purpose-driven self-awareness, or as I like to put it, self-awareness on a mission that's helping others. And I like to tell people it's personal development for corporate advancement. So it's not personal development that makes it fun. What makes it fun is the reason I am doing it. And that is for corporate advancement. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on, but all I'm just trying to hit on is that rethinking some of the things we thought we already knew and understood is a very beautiful and adventurous mission for me. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Please do. Have you heard of the term twice exceptional before? I haven't, and I'm glad to learn about it for the first time. So tell me about it. <laughs> so that's basically people who are intellectually gifted and have a learning difference or something. So basically gifted plus ADHD, plus autism, plus something. And hearing you speak about complexity and that that's your definition of fun. <laughs> I'm just going to be very bold here and please take it with a grain of salt. But I see you. As a twice exceptional person, I'm not a professional, I'm not an expert on autism, but I can really see that there's more 
to your thinking patterns, I would say, especially when you keep mentioning complexity and, and concepts and rethinking. And I would say there might be a little bit more to your brain as well. I'm happy to find out along the way. I haven't taken an IQ test mostly because I failed a lot in mathematics growing up in school. Yes, same here. Now, let me tell you something funny. Even addition is still a complex thing for me. Now, not because I'm not someone that loves numbers a lot. I don't know why. Because when I see numbers, I try to look for the patterns. I try to look for the theoretical concepts behind all of these things. Like someone was talking to me about a mathematical concept and I asked him, I said, who originated that concept? Where did it start? And they were like, okay, this is, let me just show you the formula and how to solve it. I'm like, no, 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 let's go way back. Let's go way back. Let's try to follow the journey, the development. So that's what I care about. And most mathematics people, they just care about the bottom line. And I am more of a process person. I'm more of a systems person. So that's why I've always been scared of IQ tests. No, I'm not saying you should do an IQ test. Please don't go into an IQ test. That's always what people say, like, oh, I need to do an IQ test. I'm like, no, you don't. Especially what I learned so far as an adult, when you take an IQ test as a child, they compare you to a different age group. Like if you can do maths when you're 10 years old, they compare you to like to a 12 year old. But as you said, when you're 25 and 30, there's no, there shouldn't be a difference, right? So you cannot compare. So it's more difficult to measure IQ as an adult. Also, IQ measures something, but it doesn't show the whole complexity of what is intelligence. It's just a tiny piece of intelligence, but there's much more going on. And if you want, I can send you a link to a very good book. It's called Gifted Adults. And there's also a checklist. It's kind of like the checklist you refer to, you know, like you did the the test for autism where you've probably, if you only took it, you think like, oh, everybody does take everything, right? And then you said, but the neurotypicals, they didn't. They didn't. Like 90% of everything on the list for them, they they couldn't even take it. (laughs) Exactly. And so for for me, that that was also some of the lists that I took for gifted people. It's like, but that, like everybody, this cannot be a test. This is like normal. (laughs) And then I actually gave it to people that are not on the gifted side and they didn't tick all the boxes. So it's really interesting to see, not to confuse you more, but more maybe to give (laughs) you more answers or more stimulus for your brain. Yeah, sure. I have always been a fan of the way you explain things. Now, the reason is because this is what I love about listening to you. I, I try to listen to some of your podcasts, not all of them. But I listened to some. Now, there was this particular episode where you were talking about the difference between therapy and coaching. Yes. You talked about how therapy is about solving something from the past. Yes. And um, it's about the present. Whereas coaching is about dealing with something in the present and it's about the future. So when you made all of those comparisons, now that's the typical way I learn. Just like you just... You just summed up the whole wisdom around therapy and coaching. And then you just give it to me in a nutshell. And that's actually my life mission. Because I realized that there's a lot of complex things we teach out there that 
doesn't work, either we don't appreciate the complexities there are to those things, or when we finally arrive at the complexities, we don't now know how to simplify them. And we have to appreciate the place of simplicity. Like I told you, it's not about being one-sided. Complexity on one hand, simplicity on the other hand. And most people talk about balance. I don't tell people to balance things because you don't need to balance things. Things are balanced the way they are. We just need to find what the balance is. We just need to actually understand. And sometimes it just comes, it starts with appreciation. Before we end this interview, I would like to hear about what you do as a coach for writing or as you say, rewriting. And you're also an editor? Yes. Tell us what you do and where people can find you. The best place you can find me, the easiest place is LinkedIn. My name is Bio Moses on LinkedIn and send me a chat. I typically reply within a few minutes. On my LinkedIn profile, you can find my personal email. Right now, I don't have a website because I'm not all that businessy. So I'm trying to secure a partnership with someone else who is going to run all that aspect. And then we're going to put up a website and all of that. But I am a nonfiction expert. I help people, especially first-time authors, who have a message to tell. And most times I focus on books that are about change, about shifting the humanity forward. I love books that are conversation-driven. It's about bringing a new thought, a new perspective. It's about rethinking something. I love books like that too. I am an editor. I'm an editor, a developmental editor. I help people clarify their book-worthy idea and help them. I show them a process by which they can create their first draft, turn it into a high-impact manuscript, and then publish it in a professional way. That's just a, a summary of what I do. But there's a whole process to it, and it's always fun. It's always fun. Wow. I love that. And if I have an idea of a book, I'm sure I'm going to come to you and ask you for help. And I already have a few people that told me they want to write books and I'm totally going to send them your way. Definitely. It's amazing. It's, it's always an amazing experience. And one of the things I, I have realized is that one of the ways to transform the human mind One of the best ways is a book because a book is about showing perspective and it's about evidence telling. You're not just saying this is true because I experienced it or this is true because it happened to me or because I thought it is true. It's you, you're trying to say, okay, here are the facts. So you, you allow people the time they need to assimilate, you show them. That's one of the things I do, by the way, help people understand that it's not about just writing your story and your ideas. Is about presenting it in a way that people can relate with, in a way that people, if it's a complex idea, the idea itself must be sophisticated, but the presentation must be simple. And then even if it's a simple idea, the idea may be simple, but we also show them the sophistication of the result it can produce. And all the books, all the authors I work with, their books are always audience-centered. It's a new way to, put, to approach writing. Write in a way that helps the audience or the reader shift from a certain point A to a certain point. That's why if you go on my link to my introduction, it says writing is about change. You found something that changed you, and now you want to share your story, your ideas, or your insights with the world so that others can find the same thing and change also and be transformed. So transformative writing is, is the best I can think of. 
that's what we do basically. And I love this story so much because we started an hour ago and you said, I had difficulties learning how to read in school, yes. <laughs> in the typical school system. And now you help people publish their books. And yes, definitely. It's amazing. <laughs> it is. Is there anything else you want people to know? Is there anything else you want to share? Is there something you wish people knew or something you wish you knew earlier? Okay, one of the things I wished I knew earlier, I'll try to be brief, by the way. One of the things I wished I knew earlier as a teenager is to just know if I heard someone older than me, someone I looked up to, like a mentor or someone that could have just told me that you are okay just the way you are. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with how you were born. There's nothing wrong with how you think. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to be different or be a certain way for you to be a good human being, for you to find happiness in life. And then if I realize that my happiness is not tied to social validation, it's not tied to people's opinions, I would have been more at peace with myself. And recently, that's one of the things I've added to my coaching program, how to let people be at peace with themselves. If you are talking, if you like talking about a certain thing and people don't like hearing, they always tell you this is bullshit and all of that. The problem may not be you. The problem may not be the topic. It could be the audience. You could be talking with the wrong audience. So I help people realize that there's nothing wrong with you. So if that's something I wish I knew earlier, as simple as that sounds, it made a lot of difference to me. And then if there's something I really want people to learn, especially gifted people, is we have a lot of problems as gifted people, a lot of anxiety, a lot of emotional and psychological troubles. And in my opinion, a lot of it comes from focusing on yourself. That's why I teach people self-awareness that is purpose-driven. Sometimes you need, to, you need to realize that the best way to help yourself is to help others. The best way to really help yourself. That's why, like I was telling someone, what's the best version of myself I see in the next two years, in the next five years? And I said to the person, someone who is special, and what's my definition of special? Someone that people find you to be fun. They, they find you to be, um, that it's fun to be with you. That's my definition. Now, notice that it's not about fun. Now. It's about people finding that um, you're fun to be with. That means you are focused on others. Now, it doesn't matter whether you are a genius or not. The most important thing is that you are helping people. And then someone who is a great team player, someone who craves feedback of all kinds to help me grow. I mean, feedback of all kinds, even the relevant feedbacks, the irrelevant feedbacks, doesn't matter how it sounds, where it's coming from. I also want to be better in that I want to be someone who is desperately willing to ask for help when I need it and to offer it to others, even when they don't ask for it. And even when it's outside the scope of my work. And then lastly, I want to be that person who always, always want to be a better version of themselves and also want to have fun all along the way. So that's my typical definition of a better version of myself. And when you look at all of these, the thing you can pick from it is you are focused on helping others. That's what's at the center of it. Your focus, personal development, like I said, for corporate advancement. By the way, in a few years from now, I'm going to release a book that talks about my story in a more elaborate way and teaches some of this insight. The title is Self on a Mission. And the subtitle is Personal Development for corporate advancement. 
that is my gift to the world. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'll be waiting for this book and please let us. I will definitely reach out to you. <laughs> and I will be following you on LinkedIn. So I will be the first to hear once it's out. I just want to say thank you so much for, for sharing. It's my pleasure. And all the best, obviously, to you. And we're going to stay in contact. And thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Nadia. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. It's such a beautiful example how neurodiversity is present across the globe. And we really need to make an effort to empower and basically share this information so that other neurodivergent people learn about the causes of some of their issues. And I believe there's so many people out there in the world who do not know about this. I didn't know about this topic. And not knowing you doubt yourself, you question yourself, you think there's something wrong with you because that's what people tell you. That's what is mirrored back to you. But once you find out that basically there's nothing wrong with you, you're just different in a way, you're just a little bit different, then it just gives you so much peace, inner peace and calm and empowers you and you can use your difference as a superpower to your strengths. And I want to repeat that I'm not a therapist. I'm not a coach. I'm just somebody who found out about this topic. And I just believe that I need to create a podcast and share this information with all of you so that I can reach people like Biomosis and share his story that other people can learn and identify and hopefully live a better life, better quality of life and share and really create a community where everybody feels welcomed and connected and loved and included. That's basically my vision and dream. So yeah, I hope you take this episode. And if you know somebody who needs to hear this, who could profit from learning about this topic, please share and again, please like, subscribe to the podcast on the platform you're listening to your podcast because that helps the algorithm shares with people who are searching for the topic and it will just create more visibility for the podcast. So that will really mean a lot. So thank you very much for listening and I hope you got some inspiration from this episode and I see you in two weeks. Bye. <laughs>